Hello and welcome to another episode of The Imprint Companion, the podcast that discusses and dissects the releases from Australia's beautiful boutique Blu-ray label, Imprint Films from Viavision. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos and as always, my brother in DVD culture is none other than the beautiful Blake Howard. How are you, my darling boy? I am so beautiful. Thank you, my love. It is a lovely time of the week and of the month when we talk about the latest Imprint batch. And we have been assaulted, Alexi, with so many releases from Imprint. They've gone absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's we've gone from horror. We've had this like a big horror run. It feels like film noir, then a horror run. Now we're into like the director's series. So it is such, I know this is you and me getting geeky as shit on the director's series right now. Some big voices, some big films in these batches. The folks listening now, they would have just had Maria Lewis assault us with her Mm -hmm. double jeopardy uh, fandom, which is amazing. But uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about a couple of like one film that completely blew me away. hadn't seen it before. And one that I got an all new appreciation for, which I can't wait to talk to you about as well. Yeah, because it's an interesting big batch this month, we are going to be splitting it up a little bit more. Like you said, we had Maria Lewis on just talking about Bruce Beresford's Double Jeopardy. But this week, we're going to be talking about an Academy Award-winning classic from an all-time director. We're going to be talking about James L. Brooks's As Good As It Gets, which is spine number 65. And we are also going to be discussing Chinese Box from 1997, directed by Wayne Wang, the filmmaker behind the Joy Luck Club, starring many, many great actors, including Jeremy Irons, and shall we say like Imprint's favorite daughter, the, Perhaps. The, the star of the upcoming collaborations box set, also the star of Miami Vice 2006, Gong Lee. This was a Gong Lee blind spot for me. We're about mm-hmm. to clear all those out for the collaborations uh, episodes coming up, but holy dooly, two movies from 1997 couldn't be more different, but couldn't be, uh, you know, more interesting. Let's talk about as good as it gets. Or do they teach you to talk like this in some Panama City sailor want a hump hump bar? Sell crazy someplace else. We're all stocked up here. TriStar Pictures invites you to meet a truly appalling individual. He's a freak show. He's the worst person I ever met. Help! If you want to see me, you will make an appointment. Dr. Green, how can you diagnose someone as an obsessive compulsive disorder and then act as though I had some choice about barging in? You have messed your last floor. <laughs> have, you, have, you, uh, have you seen my dog with a little little face? Little... Uh-oh. You have no idea what your work means to me. How do you write women so well? I think of a man, and I take away reason and accountability. Melvin, wait! <laughs> Shut up, kids! Melvin, Definitely a package you don't want to open or touch. Pay me a compliment, Melvin. I need one. Quick. I love you. You make me want to be a better man. That's maybe the best compliment of my life. From Academy Award winner James L. Brooks. Well, maybe I overshot a little because I was aiming at just enough to keep you from walking out. (laughs) (laughs) Comes a story about how the people you can't live with. Uh, Carol the waitress, Simon the fag. 
become the people you can't live without. We all have these terrible stories to get over, and you... It's not true. Some of us have great stories, pretty stories, that take place at lakes with boats and friends and noodle salad. Just no one in this car. Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt, Greg Kinnear, and Cuba Gooding Jr. I love you. I tell you, buddy, I'd be the luckiest guy alive if that did it for me. As good as it gets. This was a childhood favorite of mine, Blake. I think this may very well be one of the movies I've seen most frequently in my life. Like the most the most hits, the most notches in my belts may be for as good as it gets because it used to play constantly on free-to-air TV here in Australia. Yes. So this was my first time ever watching the theatrical cut. I was more used to like the four and a half hour version they played on Channel 10 <laughs> interspersed with dozens and dozens of commercials, hours and hours of them. So it was interesting to get the clear vision of Mr. James L. Brooks here. <laughs> Um, and this, I would say, is one of my early introductions to grown-up cinema, alongside yeah. the works, the works of like Nora Ephron and Nancy Myers. James L. Brooks was like one of the first directors that I knew that made like adult movies, you know, films for your parents and grown-ups. <laughs> and my opinion has not really changed on it at all because I think that the main the main thing about this movie is there's three truly beautiful performances in these lead roles from Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt, and Greg Kinnear. They're all doing something interesting. They're all doing something quite powerful here, and they all do it with quite good humor and quite good gusto. But beyond that, there's all these weird, interesting performances from filmmakers filling out the supporting cast of this film. And I think now I much prefer broadcast news and terms of endearment as far as James L. Brooks's filmography goes. But all the relationship complexity that I love in those films is absolutely present here. Yeah, I hadn't seen this in a dog's age. And it's so funny you say that. I actually now understand why, because it was that it was not only culturally a huge movie at the time, like James L. Brooks being back, he was so present in our minds and consciousness being one of the key creators behind the Simpsons. We had all the, you know, all of the, the lore around both broadcast news in terms of endearment, as far as like these like prestige comedies. And he seemed to be like the new guy that was making prestige comedies that could have the, you know, the, the power potentially to be up for Oscars. But I watched this and I was like, so annoyed at myself that it had taken me such a long time now as a grown-up person to go back and watch this movie because mm. the jack the jack of it all is the highlight reel of jack is not any of the best stuff that he does in this movie there is so much that jack nicholson does that is just effortless across like creating melvin udall as this weird and wonderful guy but mm. i i was just shocked at i want to call out my mvp of the movie cuba gooding jr is like giving such a outstanding, wonderful uh, kind of nudging performance as the comedic yeah. best friend of Greg Kinnear's Simon. He plays Frank Sachs. Greg Kinnear is doing some of his very best and understated work. And the person who has been crapped on, I think, so unfairly as the star of this movie who won an Oscar, Helen Hunt, her comedic and dramatic chops in this movie and all the understated stuff that she is doing is so mm. awesome that I was just like, I was blown away. And this particular transfer, look, it looks great. It's a 
big studio picture, all the locations really yeah, get to like cherish the apartments, the cafes looking nice and amazing. And it's just everything. But there is an audio commentary that features James L. Brooks is like the se- steady person. And then it flows between James L. Brooks, Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt, and Greg Kinnear. That is a cherished part of this glorious yeah. 65th um, entry into imprint films because I hearing Jack talk about how he admires the work that's going on hear about how Helen Hunt toiled over even minor details like makeup mm. and hearing how like they, the emotional complexity of the character relationships are all disjointed because they shot this thing all over the place and hearing how they had to all kind of stitch that together in their performances. is just incredible. I had, had such a fun time. I was like, man, this is a really good movie. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a yeah. kind of like outside the paradigm of what we've come to expect from, um, from like prestige movies and Oscar movies. Now it always has to be so bleak, but this is kind of like a bit dark. People are very flawed. It's funny. It's sweet. I like it a lot. And I also think that this has got some great special features. I enjoyed all the kind of video essays uh, mm. that encompass like James L. Brooks's career. I think that this is a great addition. And it's also because this is such a winner of a film. I don't think I've ever said this. This to me is a surefire stocking stucker, stuffer gift. Yes. Like, this is the, the one imprint that I can imagine the same way that we talk about like... Um, for the Criterion Collection having Silence of the Lambs in there or yes. the Wes Anderson films. This is like a big title coming to this label that is very accessible, deeply beloved by a lot of people and by a lot of mainstream audiences that can see being like the kind of gateway. Like people go, what's this spy number on the side here? Why does this say 63 or 65 on here? And then awakening themselves to a, a bevy of film discovery. I'm so glad you said that. Yes, absolutely. And it's the, you know, broadcast news is another one that you like is, you know, that, that it is on the criterion collection. You're so glad. And you could totally toss, you know, someone's first criterion collection as broadcast news in there. I love it. Such Mm. a spot on point. But now we go from like one absolute rousing mainstream smash to another film from 1997, Uh, an independent contemplative, very, formally stylish and interesting film. It is Wayne Wang's Chinese box. There are moments when you see your life very clearly. The things you've left undone. That time in Beijing, we were both ready for each other. It seemed inevitable we would become lovers. And yet we let it pass. And then it slipped away. Which is set in Hong Kong on the precipice of the handover from the former colonial city of Hong Kong into China, into mainstream China, rather than being a British colony. And it is seeing and characterizing people as basically like living symptoms of that handover and what it actually Mm. means for that to happen. Uh, Has wonderful sort of 
steady movie but in this movie that is like very classically put together is this kind of very impressionistic Wayne Wang himself like home movie diary of an individual trying to unpack the psychology of this moment Um, great special feature huge huge special feature huge special feature that like you wonder when you're watching the movie like oh how did they do this but you figure out that it's the filmmakers actually diarizing their impressions and how that then used itself with the movie to make what we actually see in the finished product um lex this was a brand new one for me was this Mm -hmm. a new one for you um i had never even heard of this movie before uh not on my radar whatsoever i like wayne wang i love joy luck club that Mm -hmm. would have been a movie i saw a lot growing up it was like a dvd staple um which surprises me because i he's made a lot of mainstream movies after that wayne wang like Mm. um made in manhattan i think he directed amongst a few kind of other rom-commy mainstream uh movies so i did not anticipate something like this i think i loved this movie um i love the perspective of it there's something I, i do love jeremy irons as well but there's something i find fascinating in these films that deal with like expatriates like people that are now strangers in a land that doesn't understand them and they're trying to understand and it's beautifully set in this time of upheaval like this turning of the tide and seeing how that changes how it affects it especially feels so like this feels very contemporary to its time but it's interesting to watch it now understanding like how understanding and also completely not understanding um the situation in hong kong currently in the current day now in the present day um and i find it fascinating that this movie is directed by wayne wang who is someone who lived in hong kong and hadn't returned very often for many years and then he kind of makes this film from the perspective of a western expatriate living there who's based on um the writer uh Theroux, who i can't remember his first name he's louis Theroux's dad yes. um it's based on his not life but the character's based on him to some extent and his experience there and uh, it's interesting having that double perspective of someone who once was a hong kong uh native to now making a movie about an expatriate there i think it gives like this beautiful kind of that outsider's perspective where they can notice things that are different like the way things they pick up culturally from understanding from having now had an immersed perspective and now having an outsider perspective it's pretty fascinating and it also kind of feels like very unique because it almost sits in that um in a type of cinema that was very common in this era, uh, hyperlink cinema, which is yeah. those multifaceted stories, multi-layered stories with different protagonists following all these different stories, kind of like your Magnolias uh, as a contemporary example to this. But this has a clear protagonist. This has a clear lead, but it is a multi-layered story. Like we deal with so many different elements from like the political upheaval to following three or four different other characters as well yet they are not the protagonist of this film this has a clear one and it also changes between them like this film is very different when maggie chung is in this film a great star of uh olivia sayers's irma vep amongst like also stuff like police story but a true hero of like hong kong cinema um when we're with her it feels like 
improvisational and dangerous and um like a complete different movie like she brings this entirely different like improvisational energy to it that just sets everything else off on edge i think that this is like one of the things that i've really enjoyed with imprint as a label is unearthing things completely unknown to me completely unearthed where i've had no idea about it no concept of it and to feel like a complete discovery this movie really is that i think that i will slowly but surely fall in love with this film and another part of the thing that makes this really special that i've praised every time they've come up is having a dedicated focus and video essay beautifully produced interview dissection with the composer about the score and this has got a great score by an australian composer um called uh graham ravel who did like the crow amongst many other um cult hits including i believe pitch black i think he did (laughs) the pitch black movies the riddick films um and it's just interesting to hear him dissect his score and talk about how he came up with it and how he wished that this film was bigger because he thinks it's his best work yeah, it's uh, I. It's a movie that I think intentionally sets you up for this um, kind of like grating position because you see this white English Jeremy Irons, very self assured, very judgmental of like this transition, and you see his position um, right from the outset of the film that kind of like you're like I don't know if I'm gonna like this, but in Wayne Wang's hands, he makes this guy deeply problematic. He's littered with a potential life-threatening uh, a prognosis, uh, mm. shall we say, without spoiling too much. And he then has to wrestle with this transition and actually what it means. And so then what he happens, it, it's this strange thing. Like you said, it's, it's a hyperlink movie because the protagonist hands the reins of the movie over to other characters. Like he gives yeah. them the movie and he starts to relinquish his perspective because we are watching him and he is watching Hong Kong and trying to figure out if anything he's ever learned from being a staple of that society has it stuck is worthwhile is anything doesn't, doesn't mean anything or is he just Mm. completely wrong? And it is so refreshing to watch a character relinquish their white stranglehold on this movie and actually see it from a very conflicting and ambivalent perspective of people who are living there and wrestling with what is Mm. ideologically Chinese and what is ideologically Anglo-Saxon and European. And it's so amazing. I was just like, I I was kind of like a bit, I don't know, I was a bit rigid watching the beginning Mm. of this movie. And then it just got me and I was so enamored and I was blown away at the, especially the, the way that the film ends and we won't spoil it here, but I was just like, I can't believe that. And I immediately ran to those special features. I ran there. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's a special movie. And like, honestly, before talking now, I can happily say that this will be a movie of Wayne Wang's that I see multiple times, even though my, one of my wife's favorite movies is made in Manhattan. I will be definitely racking up notches on the belt to make Chinese box come up that list because I love Gong Li. I loved this and uh, yeah. I might even, I might even find myself with the home movies documentary about this movie being the thing I revisit the most on this disc. It's a fascinating special feature. It's like this all encompassing poetic documentary with lots of observational footage from Wayne Wang. Um, that is 
it's 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 um I to go from me not knowing about this movie to now gushing about a forty minute <laughs> special feature on the disc is pretty phenomenal. And yeah. I had just watched this today as well, Amazing. so I'm still in the midst of like grappling with it. It's still in the haze, was, it's so good. I will compare this very favorably to a movie by Peter Weir, The Year of Living Dangerously. Great I movie. think that this genuinely is a more surprising and also maybe the movie I've always wanted that film to be. I, in that I, it doesn't star Mel Gibson, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't have Linda Hunt in the performance, their most insane performance of a lifetime. That is remarkable. As look, it's it's the Year of Living Dangerously um, is so typical of its time that you like it can't unshackle from those uh, constraints. But I I da- definitely see what you mean because hearing more from Wayne Wang about his firsthand experience living there as an expat and then coming to terms with the state of this movie through that expat lens is so special. And I, I, mm. I think, yeah, it's, it's, I, I literally watched the year of living dangerously like a week ago. So watching them there, I think we're finding some great double features in there. Obviously, if you want to do the, the Holy Trinity of James L Brooks, we talked about broadcasting as we talked about terms of endearment, you watch that yeah. with as good as it gets. But I think, um, and we talked about in double jeopardy episode, that's just gone past. We talked about the fugitive and double jeopardy being the his and hers revenge movie, the nineties. <laughs> But uh, yeah, look, Year of Living Dangerously um, really had to walk so Chinese box could run. And now yeah. I'm so glad that we, we're seeing it running on a beautiful Blu-ray with all these special features to like really immerse yourself in its discovery. Truly can't believe it. To, uh, to go from not knowing it to now being kind of enraptured by it. This is a very interesting movie and it is beautifully made. Uh, that is pretty much it for this episode of Imprint Companion, but we will be coming back with three more titles that include Days of Heaven, it includes Drugstore Cowboy by Gus Van Sant, and it also includes The Straight Story from David Lynch. This Ooh. is an auteur triple, three of the biggest of all time, Terrence Malick, David Lynch, and Gus Van Sant are all going to come under the scalpel of these two surgeons when it comes to physical media analysis. Blake, what have you got cooking at the moment, baby? Everything One Heat Minute Productions. If you are listening to this imprint companion feed or you have found it under the special... uh, or found it under a serious disc agreement on One Heat Minute Productions, you would know that we are working on the downhill slope of Zodiac Chronicle. And if you're listening to this episode, you would hear that the actual man himself... Robert Graysmith is coming on to Zodiac Chronicle, San Francisco Chronicle cartoonist turned true crime bestselling author, the movie that inspired his life. He is coming on to talk about it with us, which is amazing. So keep an ear out for that because I could not be more excited. And look, the sales are just billowing full of air on the beginnings of the journey wow. of podcaster and commander. So keep an ear out for that one too, but that's everything that's going on with me. Good sir. And obviously our weekly dissections of, uh, of these physical media podcasts are what I'm excited about too. What is going on with you when they are not listening to these shows where we talk physical media? Well, I've been very fortunate to be the guest uh, with my dearest friend on a beloved podcast of mine. Uh, Cameron James and I were on Zodiac Chronicle uh, (laughs) talking about Charles Fleischer in the basement scene, um, which is one of my favorite scenes ever with an actor I'm obsessed with my entire life. 
Also, Blake and I were on Screen Drafts, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, oh. drafting the 21st Australia, the best of 21st century Australian cinema. And you can always hear me on Total Reboot with Cameron James. And at the moment, we're doing a mini series, Icons Only Edition, talking about VIP. Absolute VIP. V- VIP list, baby. That's it. We're talking about the icons of the man versus the machine subgenre of science fiction. So we're talking about the freaking Robocops. We're talking about the Terminator with Mr. Sunday Movies. We're talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey, Hal versus Dave, baby. We're talking (laughs) icons only. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on another Link Companion very, very soon. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.